welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so others can find the show too. My guest today is Maria Savic. Maria is a graduate student at Washington State University. Maria is from Serbia. She is a graduate research assistant in the Weed Science Program, working on smooth scarring rush management with me and Dr. Mark Thorne. Prior to coming to WSU, she got her bachelor's degree at the University of Belgrade in plant protection sciences, and she completed an internship at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She will be graduating in May, and I've asked her to join us today to tell us more about her research. Hello, Maria. Hello, Drew. So, uh, smooth scouring rush, uh, why, why should people be interested in this? Why are weed scientists interested in it, and why should washing wheat growers be interested in it? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me today. Um, so, smooth scouring rush is a creepy non-flowering perennial, and it has a high silica content in stems. And up until recently, or relatively recently, it wasn't known as a troublesome weed. Um, It started entering and spreading uh, production fields uh, only after we introduced no-till or reduced uh, tillage systems, which here in Pacific Northwest started somewhere in late 70s, uh, in past century. And um, this is one old but new weed, how I like to sometimes say, because this plant group or plant genus is one of the oldest living vascular plants on Earth. And uh, one fun fact is that even dinosaurs back in time uh, used it as a very nutritious and primary source of uh, our food source. Um, Anyway, smooth scouring rush... um, as I said, became a weed in row crops relatively recently. And to answer finally your question, uh, why we are interested in this plant is uh, because no-till growers in eastern Washington uh, have expressed their concerns regarding this weed and its presence in uh, their uh, fields or uh, in their row crops. And it is definitely spreading and invading our production fields. Usually you will see it in dense patches uh, present in the field. And another part that makes it problematic is that it's really hard to control it with herbicides, which we know that are main tool for no-till growers for weed control. And we don't have many options. So that is why we are uh, doing research on this weed. Okay. Yes, I, I don't think it was a weed on my radar when I first showed up here in 2012 until a grower showed me uh, some fields north of Reardon where it was just spreading clear across fields, which really surprised me. So I've been trying to work on it for a while and, and brought you in to do some uh, research on it. I wonder if you can explain a little bit about uh, what your research is and what some of the findings from your research have been. Mm-hmm. So to give a little bit of background, um, we n- knew before that one herbicide, chlorosulfuron, controls uh, smooth scouring rush. It is very effective, but we have some problems with introducing it into crop rotations here in eastern Washington, especially in uh, higher rainfall zones. So we started, um, or 
uh, in my program before I came here, uh, started exploring glyphosate and, and looking into higher rates. So what I found or what we found in my research is that uh, high rates of glyphosate uh, can be really effective for uh, smooth scarring rush control, uh, but only when it's used with a surfactant, which is pretty interesting. And uh, when I say high rates, I just want to uh, mention that those are upper, upper labeled rates for single application. I'm talking here about uh, three quarts uh, of um, herbicide per acre. We used RT3 in this case, so it's three, three quarts of RT3. And uh, in my research, we tested several surfactants and uh, organosilicone ones were the most consistently effective on smooth scarring rush. And especially when we applied these treatments during the day, um, this is because we hypothesized or we had implications that organosilicones can help in increasing um, herbicide efficacy by increasing a stomatal flooding or herbicide uptake through stomata. So that is why day applications uh, worked uh, really well. And a second thing that I would like to point out is that organosilicone surfactants do increase uh, droplet spreading on the surface. And we found that if weather is not um, optimal or if it's hot and dry, uh, this uh, herbicide efficacy can be compromised because we have that higher evaporation from the plant surface. So that is um, one secondary point from my research um, that I want to uh, point out is um, that yes, organosilicons work and during the day um, uh, and increase glyphosate efficacy, but uh, that is not always the case. It can happen to uh, fail and that we don't see results from the herbicide. Okay, you, you mentioned um, work during the day. Your study looked at both day and night application. Can you explain why you looked uh, at applications during the day versus at night? So I mentioned that, yes, day applications work, but we had some implications from the literature that when organosilicones are included in uh, tank mix, uh, they increase the stomatal flooding and uh, stomata are actually open during the day in most of the vascular plants because stomata to be open, uh, they require light or uh, energy to be produced so the certain protein pumps can work and actually uh, open open stomata. Okay, and, and at night they're closed, right? So um, yep. what was the thinking? During the day, if they're open and stomata flooding is occurring, we would get uh, up greater uptake, whereas at night maybe we, would, we wouldn't because we thought the stomata might be closed. And is that what you found? Um, yes, exactly. But um, as I said, at, at some uh, cases, uh, that was not the case. The hypothesis didn't, didn't hold. And um, we suspect that was um, environment uh, played a role and also uh, the drought that occurred in one of the years that we applied these treatments. Okay. So if, if the droplets evaporating quickly under hot, dry conditions, then probably shouldn't be applying it under hot, dry conditions. So exactly. later in the season, maybe earlier in the season would be better application time than later. Yes, our our earlier applications uh, were really uh, holding up and uh, following what we assumed, what we expected. But our later applications just turned out a, a little bit different. So we would not uh, recommend those late applications or applying herbicide when it's really hot and dry. Okay. You mentioned chlorosulfuron was... Uh, has been found to be very effective, but that the growers 
uh, particularly in the high rainfall area. We're a little concerned with it, I assume because of the carryover issues. Um, it uh, pretty much limits you to small grain crops for for several years after its use. Um, there's also a concern with the ALS inhibiting herbicides, which chlorosulfuron is with um, herbicide resistance. So in a species like smooth scouring rush that uh, primarily spreads by asexual reproduction, that is the rhizome spreading, um, should we be worried about herbicide resistance development in, in smooth scouring rush? Um, so as I said, smooth scouring, scouring rush is a creeping and non-flowering perennial. When I say creeping, I mean it reproduces vegetatively via rhizomes. And when I say non-flowering, it means that it doesn't reproduce from seed, but it reproduces from spores. That is a, a sexual reproduction. And different that is different from most of the living plants that we know today. Um, however, um, sexual reproduction is quite rare to happen in environments uh, such as uh, eastern Washington because it's pretty uh, dry and that uh, conditions that smooth scouring rush requires for sexual reproduction are really specific. Um, it's, as I said, very rare to happen. Uh, so uh, herbicide resistance, um, we don't have um, some major concerns about herbicide resistance development uh, because it's uh, primarily reproduces by rhizomes, so all the plants and all the offspring is actually just clonal, and the genetic variation or the the exchange of genetic material is is not happening because we don't have sexual reproduction. Okay, so if that's a grower's concern, they shouldn't maybe think about it, but it's not a major concern with this particular species, but it might be for other species in the field. Yes, that is another thing why we started looking into another other herbicides because it's not the only smooth scouring rush, for example, there in the field. So, and w it is known that we have a widespread ALS resistance is, is some in some weeds um, here. In okay, so um, I've I've found smooth scouring rush to be fascinating. It seems like uh, for every uh, question we answer, we come up with two or three more questions. So. What are some of the unanswered uh, questions that remain after your research? Um, so, as I said in, in the beginning, it is very interesting that this plant exists on Earth for such a long time. But on the other side, we don't know about it so much, especially in, in a weed science world. Um, and from the ma weed management or eat management in row crops. Um, so, from my research... We, for example, hypothesized that stomata are open during the day, but that was just assumption that we made. So this is something that we need to look into and to look into uh, environmental factors that will affect uh, this cycle of stomata opening or closing and to see if our assumptions were completely correct or that in some instances, for example, um, this cycle can switch or if if we look in, into this hot and dry weather and the drought conditions, uh, we can see that we can maybe find out something else that we didn't know so far. Um, and also, uh, as I said also uh, before, there are only few herbicides known to, to control this um, uh, plant. And this plant group is naturally tolerant to, to many herbicides. That is, that is pretty interesting. And um, stems of 
uh, smooth covering rush are rich in silica. Uh, so, um, and we know that the silica can increase over time. And this is something that uh, can also affect our, our um, herbicide efficacy and can be potentially something that we should um, look into more. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, you, you, at two of your sites, the day applications worked quite well and kind of followed the thoughts we had on stomato flooding. But that third site where the daytime didn't work as well, actually the nighttime uh, worked better. And uh, that might suggest that under certain conditions, the stomata are open at night, which would be a bit unusual, I think. Um, but yes. you had some indications perhaps from, from some greenhouse work, didn't you, that perhaps the stomata on drought-stressed plants don't close fully at night? Is that what you found? Uh, stomatal conductance definitely decreases uh, with drought and higher temperatures, but it seems that this difference between day and night disappears, let's say, and the, the, the difference in stomatal conductance between day and night, it's non-existent sometimes. So, uh, yes, uh, it can... This, this cycle can definitely uh, change. This is something that we just preliminary looked into. Um, we didn't design a full experiment. It was more just for our knowledge. But as you said, we usually come up with two, three extra questions after answering one. Yes, very good. Yes, your, uh, your research helped to answer a few questions. I think we have a little better understanding when and with what Roundup or glyphosate should be uh, applied to this plant, but then we, we created some other questions in the process. So um, if our listeners want to uh, learn a little bit more about smooth scouring rush and its control, is there a place they can go to find that information? Yes, um, they can go and uh, check uh, Washington State University Weeds and Small Grains uh, webpage. Uh, annually, um, there are reports published um from all the research that is ongoing and from the previous research. And uh, they can find out more about Smooth Coming Rush. We have all of this that I've, I've been talking um, published there. All right, Maria, I've enjoyed working with you these last two years. I'm um, wishing you luck in whatever you do next. And uh, thanks for sharing your research information with our listeners today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.